We are in Genesis chapter 24, starting Genesis 24 today. And we're going to start reading from verse 1. Let me just say, in this chapter, it, it doesn't say directly in this chapter, but you can back calculate from the, the age that Isaac got married and, and everything, that, that Isaac is 40 years old at this point, and Abraham is 140 and so Abraham's 140 years old. He still has about 26 years before he's going to die. But at 140, you don't really know that. Um, you, you just have to assume that it, it could happen at any moment. And then also Isaac is 40 years old. So he's welling into the, the age to be married. So verse 1. Now Abraham was old, advanced in age. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he owned, Place your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live. But you will go to my country and my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Suppose the woman is not willing to follow me to this land. Shall I take your son back to the land from where he came? And Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth, and who spoke to me and who swore to me, saying, To your descendants I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you will take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. So, in verse 1, it says, Abraham was old, he was, he was advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Well, that is one of the promises that God had given him back in chapter 12, that he was going to bless him. And now we see the, that this has been fulfilled. He has blessed him in every way. All sorts of ways he's blessed him. Abraham walked with God in many great respects, and he saw the blessings of God there. There was this promise, this specific promise in, in, in chapter 12. He says that, that uh, uh, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. That was back in Genesis chapter 12 and that's when Abraham was 75 years old. And now we see that God had fulfilled his promise. He had blessed Abraham in every way. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, that is Eleazar of Damascus, was his servant, that was somebody that he had gotten as a servant when he was in Damascus before he had even entered the land of Canaan. Eleazar was with him. Eleazar becomes his trusted servant. Eleazar would have been the one to inherit everything that Abraham had, had Abraham not had sons, had not had children. So, so the birth of Isaac now prevented Eleazar from ever getting that inheritance. But Eleazar continued to remain faithful to Abraham in every way. He was a very faithful servant. And he says, uh, uh, to the oldest of his household who had charge of all that he owned, 
place your hand under my thigh. That is actually a euphemism. But, but this placing of the hand under the, under the thigh, that is placing a hand up, upon. And, and I won't go into to more detail on that, but, but uh, uh, it was something where he was going to make this man commit an oath. And he says to him what it is in verse 3. And I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live. So the way this oath starts, it actually starts with a negative. You shall, you shall not take a wife for my son from among the people whom I live, from the Canaanites. Because he knew the Canaanites were a cursed people. Noah had cursed Canaan and his offspring. He says, these people of Canaan, they're going to be servants and they're going to end up getting destroyed. And they ended up, did, they did get destroyed. When Joshua came into the land, he destroyed the Canaanites, the people of that land, because they had fallen into, into uh, child sacrifice. And then the remnants of the Canaanites were finally destroyed totally in Carthage by the Romans in about 450 B.C. So, so they really were a cursed people and they were wiped out. And uh, uh, for the things that they had done. He wanted no part of that for his son. He, and he says, you have to swear right here. And he, he uses the name the Lord. That is Jehovah or what they called Yahweh. That is a term that a Jew will never use today. And even later on by the New Testament times, they never used that word. In the book of Genesis, they called God Yahweh. That is his personal name. That's his personal name, Yahweh. It's often translated in English Bibles as Jehovah, Yahweh, Jehovah, or Lord in all capital letters, small caps, capital L and then small caps, to say that that is the personal name of God. He's invoking the personal name of God. He says, the God of heaven, the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife from my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live. He was emphatic about this. The first thing I'm telling you, you're going to make a commitment that you shall not take a wife for my son from among the Canaanites. What, what's the big deal, Abraham? I mean, why, why so emphatic about this? You know, God loves everyone, you know. I mean, what, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? Why, why do you have to make a such big deal about this? What, what's your phobia, Abraham? I mean, what's, what's wrong with the local girls? He makes him absolutely swear. That's the first thing. You know, it tells us in the New Testament, it tells us that we are not, one is not to be unequally yoked. So if you look in, if you look in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14, it says, 2 Corinthians 6 14, do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Do not be bound together with unbelievers. And you may say, well, you can't, you can't prove to me that he was speaking about marriage. Well, then if you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39, he is talking about widows. And there he says it very explicitly. He says, a wife is bound as long as her husband lives. But if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Only in the Lord. That is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39. Again, this thing of only in the Lord. Abraham made a big deal about this. The New Testament makes a big deal about this. 
And I too am emphatic about this. You, if as a believer, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you do not want to marry an unbeliever. What that means is that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you should not be pursuing a relationship with an unbeliever because there's a good chance you're going to get married to that unbeliever. Don't do it. He says, you're going to swear to me this by Jehovah, the very personal name of God, the God of heaven, the God of earth. Do not take a woman, a wife for my son from among the Canaanites. You are to marry in the Lord. And, and, and I've told you these stories before. I just, one of the things that I see a lot of doing, doing, working with students, being a professor now for over 30 years, and, and then going to college at the age of 18, and I've never left. I'm still there. Is that I see a lot of marriages. So people say, why are you leaving your office so early on a Saturday? I say, got another wedding to go to. I mean, it's, it's like wedding after wedding after wedding. And, and I guess that's better than working with the seniors and going funeral after funeral after funeral. But, but after a while, all weddings are the same. You know what the outcome's going to be, and you, but you just got to go and, and, and you do it. And so I have this policy. If it's in Houston, I'll go to your wedding. And, but if it's, if it's outside, I just don't go. And people have said they'll buy me plane tickets. They'll fly me out there. It's, a, it, it's, it's not the money. It's the time. I mean, I just, there's just so many marriages going on. But I'm emphatic about this. You marry in the Lord. That's why you shouldn't be pursuing relationships with, 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 with other people if they are not believers. Don't even pursue those relationships. You're going to end up getting hurt. They're going to end up getting hurt. I've seen this over and over again. And so wonderful young ladies will come to me and say, Oh, you know, I, I found this guy. He's just terrific. Da, 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 da. Say, is, is he a believer? Well, no, but he's, he's really a good guy, and he's open to it. I said, well, you shouldn't be pursuing this relationship. Wait until he's a believer. If he's open to it, let him get saved. Bring him over, I'll share with him. Let's try to get him saved. But let him get saved. Don't even pursue this relationship. And then I never hear from her again. She goes some other place, because they know I'm, I'm emphatic about this. But I care more about her... I care more about her than I do about my relationship with her. That's how much I care about them. Because I've seen it over and over again. When believer marries an unbeliever, there are real problems. Now, you will say, I know a couple. One wasn't a believer. One was a believer. They got married. And then the other one became a believer. And they're doing okay now. That's fine. I can show you ten examples the other way. The Bible even says in the New Testament, how do you know that you will get your spouse saved? How do you know? You don't know. I've seen guys go to church with, with, with young ladies and they're okay with it and everything's fine. And then shortly after marriage, they stop going to church. They go fishing on Sundays. And then the kids come along and they kind of like to go with the dad fishing on Sundays. And the woman is miserable and then after a few more years it breaks apart. Not just once, multiple times. This is why I push on this thing. And so if you want to introduce me to somebody, I'm glad to meet them, I'm glad to, to talk with them and, and give you my thoughts about this person and a lot of times people will bring someone to me, will you check this guy out? You know, I don't know. I, sure, I'm glad to check him out. It's not like I, I relish doing this, but if you want me to, I will because I care enough about you. And I ask them very simple little questions. Very simple questions. 
they're, they're probing questions, but they're very simple. They're not difficult to understand. And I'm just looking for the reaction. The, the answer doesn't matter a whole lot to me. I just want to see how they react. And so I've told young ladies, I said, you know, well, you know, clearly the guy's a believer, but I'll tell you, he's a hothead. I pushed him a little bit and he got all angry with me. I said, the guy's got a temper on him and you're going to have to, you, you, you have to know that. You know, I just probed just a little bit. And I said, t- t- tell me about your quiet time. What, 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 what's your quiet time look like? What's your time with the Lord look like? Tell me, tell me about your Bible reading. What are you reading these days? Tell me about that. What's that mean to you? Very simple questions. And then I ask questions that are simple, but they're, they're, they're sexually oriented questions. And, and uh, sometimes I ask the guy, have, are you married? No. Well, have you ever been married? You know, and they answer. And then I say, do you have children? Because you don't have to be married to have children, right? And it's amazing what will turn up in these sorts of conversations. And, uh, and the young lady never knew it. Young lady never knew. And if guys, sometimes I know guys and they want me to meet young ladies and I'll ask them questions and I just want to see the reaction. And it's not like, oh yes, I get to talk to somebody again today. It's, it's not like that. I'm perfectly fine. I, I, I have enough friends, all right? It's, it's not like I need another person to probe. I'm just doing it to help you. I would love if a person did this for, for my children. I remember I'd had this discussion with my daughters and when the, this, her, the person who's now her husband was, was courting her, she had him call me from Israel. And I talked to him for a while, but she told me, she says, before I talked to him, she says, Dad, please take it easy on him because she knew what I put guys through. And, and this is my daughter, so I have to do it, you know, because this could be my son-in-law. You know, if, if, if it's somebody else's son-in-law, it doesn't matter if I, if, if, if I send him away bloody. It doesn't matter, you know, because he's in another family. So I had to go easy on him. There was a young lady, she, she was tremendous. She was in this class, she went off to the mission field, and she always was crying because, you know, she was approaching, you know, her late 20s, and she hadn't found a guy yet, and... And, and, uh, but she's a wonderful young lady. And she goes off to the mission field and she meets this American missionary in Africa. And, and, uh, this guy who had gotten his undergraduate degree in electrical engineering at Stanford and everything. And she said, would you, would you, she told him he's got to call me and I got to check him out. So she called me, told me, and then he called me. And just, I started probing him. And this guy was wonderful. I mean, I'd probe him in and everything I asked him, he thought about it and he, clear answer. And you say, well, what if people lie? Well, they could lie, but I'd probably know it because the types of questions, you only can be a believer to answer with sincerity the types of questions I'm talking about. So you'd have to be a tremendous actor to lie about these sorts of things. And the guy was tremendous. And I, and I told him, I said, you know, if you can get this girl, she's terrific. You know, because I thought he was great. So I wanted him to pursue her. And I was started telling him what a wonderful young lady this is. And then I went to the, back to the young lady. I said, this guy's a good one. He's a keeper. And, and so now they're married and they have five children. And they, they still live on the mission field. A tremendous couple. And uh, uh, so she, was, she, was, uh, she always felt it was going to be hard for her to find a guy. And part of it was because she was six feet tall. And I said, well, just don't say you're six feet tall. Just say you're five foot twelve. <laughs> and... Uh, and, and, uh, but a tremendous young lady. And so he's like six foot three. 
So she found like this perfect guy. And the, and the guy is wonderful. This is what I want for you. But a previous guy that she had brought to me, I started probing him, and it turned out that he was married, and he was married at that time. But he was seeking an annulment. I mean, so, and I don't know if you know what an annulment is, but it, it, it's, but he was married. So I went back and I told him, do you know about this guy? <laughs> you know, and, and, and then it ended. But I saved her. You know, and, and I'm proud of this. And I, I'm glad to save you too. But what I'm saying is, this for Abraham was a big thing. It is a big deal. You marry in the Lord. Do we got that down? Can I get you to agree to that? Let me see your heads. Will you agree to that? You'll marry in the Lord. Now remember, you're agreeing to something. So if you go against this, you're lying. And liars, it says, will go, it says, the Bible says, go into the lake of burning sulfur. That's what the Bible says. All liars go into the lake of burning sulfur. You are agreeing to this. You are going to marry in the Lord. That means the relationships that you pursue. I don't care how handsome the guy is and how wonderful the guy is. If he does not know the Lord, don't even start the relationship. Because what happens is, is the more you pursue this relationship, the more you get attached. And you have these, these small molecules in your body that start controlling things. And it's very hard to turn those things off now. Really is. Hard to turn those things off. So don't even let it get started. Just remember your commitment on this. Alright. So the, in verse 3 of chapter 24 of Genesis, the first thing is, you shall not. He made him swear, he made him swear this. And then in verse 4 it says, but you will go to my country and my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. Because he knew that was the only place you can get a believing woman. The only place they could find a believing woman was to go back to his family. And we'll see later how we know that that was a believing family. Verse 5, the servant said, Suppose the woman is not willing to follow me to this land. Should I take your son back to the land from where you came? And, and he says, then Abraham says, Beware that you do not take my son back there. This putting under the thigh, this hand putting under the thigh, you see this again with Jacob. Uh, 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 when he when he does does this this putting under the thigh, this had extreme meaning. This is if uh, this is a, a, a swearing that if you disobey this, my people will track you down and kill you. This was a huge swearing about this. It was to God, and God will make sure that you will die if you violate this. This was a huge commitment, and he says, you know, you want me to go back to this land and get a woman. What if she doesn't come back with me? I find the woman. Should I bring your son there? It was an innocent question. You see, beware, lest you bring my son back there. Beware, lest you do this. So, verse 7, The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, To your descendants I give this land. He will send his angels before you, and you will take a wife for my son from there. Look what he says. He says, I have such assurance you are going to be successful in this because an angel is going to go with you. You never see the angel again in this whole chapter. It's a very long chapter, 60 plus verses. You never see the angel again. That's how most angelic creatures work. You never see them or hear from them, but they are working. 
Abraham says, my God will make this work. He will send an angel with you and he'll make it work. He'll make it work. He says, this angel will bring it to pass and make it work. Abraham had extreme assurance. But for the good of this servant, because this servant was kind of worried. I mean, here his life is on the line. You know, he's got to find a woman and convince her to come back. This is a 450-mile journey. And convince her to come 450 miles away, sight unseen, to come back. So he's kind of worried about this. So he says, not for his own sake, but for the servant's sake in verse 8, but if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you'll be free from this, from this my oath. Only do not take my son back there. So he says, don't worry. If it doesn't work out, if it doesn't work out, it's all right. Um, uh, uh, you, you'll be free from this oath. So he's giving the guy a way out. Not that Abraham had any doubt, but he was giving this guy a way out. So the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning the matter. Verse 10. Then the servant took ten camels from the camels of his master and set out with a variety of good things of his master in his, ha- in his hand. And he arose and he went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. He made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. He said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now please, now may it be that the girl to whom I say, please let down your jar so that I may drink, and who answers, drink, and I will water your camels also, may she be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. And so he, he takes ten camels. So remember, Abraham is very rich. Ten camel, camels is nothing to him. And he goes with an entourage of probably ten men. Ten camels, ten men, I don't know, eight men, but loaded up also with stuff that he's going to have to pay for the dowry. And he goes on this trek of 450 miles to the city of Nahor that's up in Syria. 450 miles by camelback. I don't know how fast camels travel, but probably something like 30 days. All right? So he's going to go a 30 days journey. He gets there. He gets to that city and he goes to where the women are. He knows that at that hour of the day, as the sun is going down, women are going to come out and get water. You say, well, where's the men? They're doing other things. All right? They're, they're out lifting weights or something. They're, they're, they're doing something. All right? The women are the ones who get the water. And so you, you even see this in the New Testament. Jesus goes out to, to the well in John chapter 4. There's the woman by the well getting water. You go to many countries. It was the woman's job to get the water. So the women are going out to get the water. And, and, uh, um, and so he says the women of the town are going to be coming. Let it be that the woman to whom I say, give me a drink. And she says to me, she says, she, she says, uh, uh, um, she, she gives me a drink and then she also says, let me water your camels also. Let that be the woman. And you go like, how, why would anyone ever pray a prayer like that? Well, this guy was very convinced also that his master was, was gonna do this. And 
It's not wrong to pray prayers like this when you're walking in faith. It's not wrong. I have examples, many examples in my own life that people look at it and they scratch their heads like, you're crazy. When, when I was, shortly before I got married, I, I did, I met Shireen as an undergrad. My first year of graduate school, we were engaged and, and I went out to graduate school and um, I always wanted to have my home open to have lots of people in to serve them meals and, and, uh, um, and then do evangelism in that way. And so I, and when I was, lived in the graduate dorm, I used to do that. When I lived as an undergrad with some guys in the house, we used to do that. So I, I went running one day to the married student housing area. I didn't know anything about I, I knew I, I had applied for an apartment in married student housing because I was going to be married in six months. And then I'd come back. I'd, I'd go, we'd go get married and I'd bring Shireen back to, to, to where I was going to graduate school. And I saw this big park and, and where the married student housing, and there were lots of houses, but there was one area, there was a park. And, and uh, I said, Lord, I'd love to have an apartment right by this park. And it would be best if that apartment were at the end of the building, on the ground level, not the second floor, there was two stories, that way we could just open the window and hand out food into the park and have big gatherings right in the park behind the house. And if it's in the middle of the building, then we'd have to walk all the way around. But if it's on the end of the building, it'd be easy to, to get out and go around. Now, you'd say that, you know, I must have called people to put it... No, back in those days, you, you, you just got what you got. You know, there was no dean of students to whom you could run and say, my professor's being mean to me. You, you couldn't do that back in those days. I was colorblind. I'm colorblind. And I couldn't do the titrations in analytical chemistry. In these days, I'd be listed as a very special person. And everybody has to do many things to help me because I'm colorblind. I went to my professor. I said, I can't see the titration endpoint. I will do it with my own hand. Can my neighbor just watch me and tell me, yes, the color has just changed? He said to me, no, you've got a problem and you've got to learn to overcome it. I mean, can you imagine if they said that to you today? I, the professor would be like brought in to speak to somebody. And I had no recourse. So what I ended up doing is I, I did it potentiometrically. I set up these electrodes and wrote this program and, and, and uh, looked for the, 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 the second derivative because the first derivative goes up, the second derivative cuts the line. In. So I learned all of this stuff. And you say, you, you know, I just bought this program. No, you couldn't buy any programs back then. There were no commercial programs. Everything you did, you, have to, you had to write. And so I did this and I, and I did well and I learned a lot in the process. These days, it's like, make every exception for the person for the rest of their life. Back then, there were no exceptions. So anyway, I just put in with married student housing. That's it. I couldn't even, there was no box for preference or anything. You just put in with married student housing. I got, and I got a room on the ground floor overlooking that park, uh, park on the end of the building, exactly one room that would have fulfilled that prayer. One room. I got it. God gave it to me. I have other examples. I remember we, we were, we were uh, uh, Shereen and I were engaged, and we went to visit my parents. I was flying in from graduate school. She flew in from Syracuse, New York, into New York City. And then we went and picked her up. My parents lived just outside New York City. And then when we were going to bring her back, she had no flight back 
to Syracuse and I had to leave for graduate school and, and I said, we're going to pray and the Lord will open up a flight for her. And, and uh, you could call airlines. There was no online. You just called airlines and everything was booked up because it was the holidays. And uh, I said, and I got with Shereen and we really prayed and I felt the real comfort. God's going to provide a flight. And I remember my brother-in-law was going down with us and uh, um, we're driving and so said, God's going to provide a flight. And he looked at me and says, don't you think God leaves this up to the airlines? And uh, I said, God's going to provide a flight. We get down there, and there was an airline at the time called People's Express Airline. People's Express Airline, you, pay, you got on the plane, and then you paid while it was in flight. It was crazy. It was like being on a bus, and, and you paid in flight. It ended up going bust after like a year and a half because people get on it. Oh, I forgot my wallet. Oh, what am I going to do? And, and you could go to the gate with your family in those days. There was no security. I, I don't even know if we walked through a metal detector in those days. Maybe we did. I, I don't even remember. But your whole family could go. And, and I remember we just walked in. I said, the Lord's going to provide a flight. And I heard, over the loudspeaker, I heard, uh, uh, such and such flight, People's Express Airline to Syracuse boarding now. And I said, let's go to that gate and check it out. See, and my brother said, what gate? I said, didn't you just hear that? Over the last, he said, I didn't hear anything. I said, no, I just heard it. It's such and such a gate. So we go to that gate, and there's this flight boarding for Syracuse. And I said, do you have it? They said, no, it's booked up. I said, well, here's my fiance. She needs a flight back to Syracuse. I said, the flight's booked. I said, well, we'll see what happens. There was one seat all the way in the back, middle seat, and she got that seat. And it was like $35 you pay on the flight when, when you get on. But God does those sorts of things. This man prayed this prayer. And he had this confidence. God sometimes intercedes this way. In verse 15. But before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother, Nahor. I mean, this is perfect. Perfect. Now, he didn't know who she was born to yet. He just saw this woman. The girl was very beautiful. I mean, she wasn't just beautiful. She was very beautiful. She was very beautiful. So he knew that at least he's going to be all right. He's not, you know, at least he's bringing someone pretty back if this happens to be the one. And, and uh, the girl was very beautiful, a virgin, a virgin, that's the word betula, a virgin, and no man had had relations with her. A virgin, and no man had had relations with her. Because the word betula can me- means marriageable. She may have been, she may have been a, a, a widow. Marriageable. Uh, um, that, that's what the word betula means. Now, in, in, in Isaiah chapter 7, when it says a virgin with, will be with child, it's not betula. You see the word betula here, and then it had to this, this, uh, it had to have this other expression after it that says that no man had had relations with her to clarify that she was really a virgin by the way that we would look at it from our Western standards. If you go to, to Isaiah chapter 7, when it says a virgin with be with child, that's the word alma. It's the only word that could be used that doesn't need any other descriptor after it that absolutely meant virgin. The same way that we in our society would use the term virgin. Some people say in Isaiah 7 it just said maiden. It didn't mean that she was unmarried. No, it meant absolutely she was a virgin. Absolutely. 
This, so it says here, here she, she, uh, and she'd never had relations with, there had never been, she'd never had relations and she went down to the spring and filled her water jar. Let me just tell you, virginity is always praised in the Bible. Always praised. Always praised. I don't care what our society says, virginity is always praised in the Bible. If you are a virgin, maintain that for your marriage. Men and women, maintain that for your marriage. You are doing absolutely, absolutely the right thing by maintaining that. Absolutely the right thing. Don't listen to what the world has to say. Maintain that for your marriage. Christian men, you make sure that the girl that you're going to marry, if she's a virgin, that she stays a virgin until after those marriage vows on that wedding day. Don't think, well, we're going to get married. We're going to get married, so it's okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. That will bring in more problems into your marriage because when you when you break moral standards before marriage, they are easier to break within marriage. Maintain that purity. If you've already lost that purity, I urge you from this day, turn the corner and say, we will walk in purity from this day onward. Even if it means that you're not going to be alone with that person. You can meet them at the coffee shop. You can meet them in the library. I'm not worried what's going to happen in the library. All right? You don't have to be alone in the room together. Virginity has always been praised. Maintain that. Walk in it. And it says, The girl was very beautiful, a virgin, and no man had relations with her. And she went down to the spring, and she filled her jar, and she came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please, let me drink a little water from your jar. So she said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly lowered her jar to her hand and gave him a drink. Now when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I'll draw also for your camels until they are finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw, and she drew for the camels. Meanwhile, the man was gazing at her in silence to know whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. I looked this up because I've never worked with camels. Camels can drink 54 gallons of water in three minutes. Now, I don't know if these camels were totally famished but let's just say 10 gallons of water, all right? Conservatively, 10 gallons of water. And you've got, you've got 10 camels. That's 100 gallons of water. How much does her jar hold? Probably not more than three gallons. Three gallons is, is uh, 25 pounds of water. Three gallons is 25 pounds. So there's 25, so you got this three gallon jar. She lowers it off her shoulder, gives the man a drink and says, I'll water your camels off. This is no small thing. So she, she's got a hundred gallons of water to bring to this trough, conservatively a hundred gallons of water using a three gallon jar. So she's got to make like 35 trips and the man is just standing back gazing at her. <laughs> That's what it says. She's filling this and going, filling it and going. We don't know what the distance was, 20 yards, 30 yards. That's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. He watched her serve. What have I told you over and over again? You watch for the people who serve, you will know who will make a good spouse. You want to marry someone who is selfless, not selfish. I saw my wife serving. I saw her doing dishes. I saw her cleaning. I saw her at Friday night prayer meetings. I mean, this young girl was always at the Friday night prayer meetings. I was always at the Friday night prayer meetings. She was there. 
She was at, at, on the Saturday evangelism days when we would go and visit international students. She was there. Now, maybe she did it because she knew I was there. I don't know. But, but she was serving. She was serving. You look for the people who serve. It's not just the person who will t- pick up their plate and bring it and throw it in the trash. Oh, look, she served. I saw her for that nanosecond. I saw her serve. No, it's the person who's going to pick up a lot of plates, a hundred gallons of water. This huge amount of serving, it's the servants you want to marry. Women, look for the guys who are serving, who are cutting vegetables, who are serving the meals, who are setting things up. Look for those guys. They make good husbands. Men, look for the women who serve. Not who just bring their own plate and throw it in the trash, but start picking up lots of other people's plates and cleaning up. Look for them. This man knew exactly the same thing. I'm going to watch her. Is she, was this just, you know, a charade? I'll, 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 uh, uh, I'll water your camels also and then think the guy will say, no, let me do it. I'll take, I'll water them. No. He let her do it. And remember, he had a bunch of other servants with him. They're all just kicking back. Watching this woman go back and forth, back and forth. Service is what you look for. Service. Learn to serve. Learn to serve. Learn to be a servant. And use that as an indicator. If this guy got his electrical engineering degree from Stanford and then he had done another degree, I think he had done an MBA as well or something like that, or maybe his his master's in double E. And then he's on a mission field in Africa. I knew immediately this guy has to have some real sense of service in him. And then I could talk with him and see the kind of person that he was like. But look for those who serve. It is really delightful being married to a servant. But in the Lord, it's great to be married to someone like that. All right. So, the, the, the verse I'm talking about, I will just quote it to you. Jesus, Jesus said, If anyone wants to be great among you, he needs to be a servant. And if anyone wants to be the greatest among you, he shall become your slave. If anyone wants to be great among you, let him be a servant. And if anyone wants to be greatest among you, let him become a slave. Because the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's through service. Through service. Keep yourselves virgins. If you're not a virgin, commit from this stay onward. If you're in a relationship that is not a relationship that's walking in sexual purity, free yourself from that relationship. Speak to the other person. Say, never happening again until the day we are married. Never happening again. And if the person leaves you as a result from that, let them leave. Let her leave. Let them leave. Better not to be married to that person. Because what happens if you're sick one day? What happens if you're sick for several months? What happens if they're traveling? If they can't do without it, let, let it be known now. Learn how to serve. Learn how to be a servant. And keep yourself committed for people who know the Lord. Marry only in the Lord. Let's pray. Abba, Father, thank you so much for your word. And Father, I pray that you would take these young people and that they would commit in their hearts today to only marry in the Lord and to only pursue relationships in the Lord.
And Lord, that this day they would commit to walking in sexual purity. This day. This has always been important to you. And Lord, that these young people here would walk as servants. If they've never served before, that they would learn how to serve. That they would serve even even serving the children here or serving in, in, in preparing the meals. That they would seek out ways to serve. And Father, I pray that you would build up good and healthy marriages from among the young people here. And Father, for those who do not know you, I pray thee, O God, that you would so work in their lives that this very day they would say, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner and come into my life. Come into my life, O Lord. Save me. Father, that this very day they would seek your face. And I commit this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.